Welcome to the Teacher's Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thanks for listening. In this episode, I interviewed Heather Wright from Reading Rocks. In the interview, Heather talks about starting the year of reading at her school after an unfavourable Ofsted report and she describes it as wanting to drench the children in reading and I just thought that was a lovely word. It's passive but enjoyable and it does change you. It could really cool you down on a hot day. Anyway, she had a lot of success with that and from there, the Reading Rocks conference was born. Heather shared lots of advice about reading during her interview and I asked her a lot of questions from the teaching community too. I really hope that you can take something away to use in your classrooms. Let's get to the interview. So Heather, thank you so much for joining us on the Teachers Podcast. My pleasure. Um, I was really excited when you reached out to us um, because I'd heard of Reading Rocks um, I heard such good things about it. I know that you've got a very large following on Twitter. Um, and I thought, yeah, let's get you in and let's give some really good content to the teachers all about reading. No pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> so uh, just on that, some people might be listening that don't know your background or don't know who you are. Okay. So could you just give us um, a background into your journey into teaching and throughout teaching okay and into okay. reading rocks or just yeah and, and to reading rocks as well yeah basically everything you've done in your career i was born <laughs> <laughs> and that one <laughs> yes um so I, when i was a teenager i actually thought i wanted to be a physio um, and then soon realized that that wasn't the right thing for me um and went to liverpool hope university mm-hmm. uh, i did a three-year degree um, and then by the end of the second year, I was itching to get my own classroom, super eager. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got my first teaching job at the District C Primary School, which is in St. Helens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been there for 15 years. Wow. Do you know what's really interesting? That I find that a lot of the people that I'm interviewing actually have just stayed in one school. In fact, it's most of the teachers have just been in one school. And I'm wondering whether there's something in that, whether being allowed to stay in the same school and and understand where you are and be trusted by the head teacher you know to do something new maybe maybe that's the future maybe that's what we should be doing it's interesting because a lot of people or some people will look down the nose at people who haven't moved around school and i get that moving around school will bring you different experiences Mm. um but being committed to one place you know can bring value as well um and i have been asked why why you stayed here so long um, and I guess there's a couple of answers really, but two main ones is there's something about that school that got under my skin. Mm. Um, I love it. It will always be a part of my heart. And some people, there's a couple of people who've been there a long time and they say, if you cut them, they're like a stick of rock and the district runs right through yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. So you build that kind of relationship with with mm-hmm, your school. Mm-hmm. And I guess another reason was that it, it is a school that has a, an area of deprivation around it. and that sense of the job's not never complete. Mm. So the challenge was always there. There's always something to get your teeth stuck into. Yeah. Um, and then building on that idea of having a head who trusts you and, and allows you to try out those new projects. Misses it, yeah. Um, yeah, 15 years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So your journey through teaching then, so you've been at that school. Tell me about Reading Rocks. You know, how did that come about? Um, So I started the school in in year one and then slowly but surely worked my way up and um, into key stage two um, and then went off. Oh, before that I was um, ICT, um, TLR holder, uh, running that and then had my mat leave, um, chose to go back to school as part time um, and then when I went back as I was part time I was losing um, my TLR. Um, so it was just classroom focus three three days a week. Um, got back into teaching, child started to sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was 
kind of itching to, to do things and my head was then recognising that I had a bit of creativity and innovation about me and gave me some TLR projects. Um, that kind of ran into the time of the school was in an RI Ofsted category, unfortunately, uh, which is not the most pleasant of places to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the staff that were there really wanted to, you know, move the school forward, believed it could. Um, and a, a number of us were into reading research and knew that the impact that reading for pleasure can have uh, can can move children forward in their futures. So came up with this idea of the, the year of reading. Unfortunately, my head teacher, um, Diane Bates, saw the potential in it and and let me run with the project. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was the best year of my teaching career, and I think it will always be. Um, So it was the academic year 2014 to 15. And the kind of main overarching aim of the project was to drench the children in all things reading. That's a nice word, isn't it, drench? Just literally throw it all at them in all kinds of ways and just hope that somewhere along the children would find their bit of reading that they could um, attach onto um, and build this culture across school. So we did all kinds of things. The first thing we started with was the big bedtime read, which nicely is established now and it happens every year at the school. Bearing in mind that um, parental engagement was was a little bit low, school always runs around fifty percent, forty to fifty percent of pupil premium. Um, so parental engagement wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. But we put this idea out. And we said we're going to do this big bedtime read. Uh, come back in your pajamas. Bring a mug. A local supermarket donated hot chocolate and marshmallows. Thought. 30, 30 people will come or what have you um, and someone in the office said do you think we better do a bit of a slip and find out how many people are coming okay um, and then the replies were coming back and it was like ah I think we need some more hot chocolate yes. and, and did, then did, did, after school they, they came in their troves they... yeah oh, good, they came good. in their troves and we had about 400 people wow. on the school field with big teddy bears even some parents in their pajamas which was a sight yeah, yeah um, reading around the campfire and just just reading did loveliness. they all read separate stories or did somebody sort of read the, a big story or there were um so we have a campfire area, so we read stories around there that people can join in, and then just lots of books outside and some children. But it, there was there was just loads of picnic blankets and chairs, and yeah, people yeah. were just casually reading. There was no pressure to conform and do um, anything. So that kind of hit the ground running, really. And then the pro- the year of reading just had so- loads just. So it, what were there it. any other events that were like really um, memorable, shall we say, that you did? Well, I really, really wanted a school dog. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Well, we have an office dog, so I can see the drawer. We've, we, yeah, we've met the office dog. He's lovely. Um, they really, really wanted a school dog and thought, children read into the dog, that would be lovely. Um, and I know you can use um, pets pets for therapy, it is, and you can apply for that, and they'll bring a, a dog to school. Um, but it wasn't happening in our area, and we couldn't have a dog. So I was kind of thinking, well, what? what could we do? And we had a local um, rabbit rescue centre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, let's let's bring the bunnies in. Um, I have to tell you, I'm allergic to rabbits. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, but I still pose with my picture with my Peter Rabbit book and, and my gorgeous bunny. And we did it with Key Stage 1 and the, um, the rescue centre brought some beautiful bunnies in. Mm. And the children read to them, bug bunnies we called them. Um, and it was just gorgeous, and it takes off the the pressure. Um, just yeah, that was a nice a nice memory as well. Yeah, as well, just that a different different thing. Um, but yeah, all kinds of crazy things and lovely lovely stuff went on. So after the year of reading, um, well throughout the year, I was using social media to kind of shout out about what we were doing, but also to interact with authors, illustrators, um, and things like that. So I'd, all, I'd previously in the ICT kind of world been in charge of building the school social media platform. Mm-hmm. So that was there and we were shouting about it and people were interested. 
Um, so we'd gained a lot of interest for our year of reading project, which was lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a conversation on Twitter, as they do kind of appear. Um, and there was a wonderful conference. I couldn't tell you who was planning it, which company it's a while ago. Um, and it sounded amazing. Michael Mulpergo was there, blah de blah um, But it had a price tag of about £350 for a ticket. Um, bearing in mind, it was London. Um, so it would have cost to get down there, train, stay over. I was just out of people's reach and people were not grumbling, but just kind of talking and saying, well, do you know what? We need a little bit of that up north. Um, and my friend, Les McFarlane, who was a teaching assistant at our school at the time, um, she now has her own bookshop, which is lovely. So she's still oh, sharing good. the book love. Yeah. Um, she was reading champion at our school. She, she said, oh, Heather could do that, and then Twitter was all over it, and mm-hmm. suddenly it snowballed into... And you ended up in the centre of having to do... A conference at our school, and I suddenly... I learnt lots of lessons, shall we say, yes, yes. Um, about acquiring sponsorship, event management and everything, but it's yeah. a fabulous journey, met lots of wonderful people. So we held the first conference at d- the district... Uh, 150 people sell out, squeezed them all in, amazing atmosphere. Um, The staff were just absolutely buzzing, that pride of sharing what they were doing and and owning of their school. Um, Having come from that position of being an RI, to go off and then to be a place where people were asking questions and wondering, you know, how we'd done and what what have you. How can we do that now? So a really lovely lovely journey to go on so I thought it would just be a bit of a one-off and then people were asking for it so went for it again um 2017 Mm -hmm. and then people were still asking for it um which is wonderful because it's great to know that out there there's a community of teachers who believe in reading for Mm -hmm. pleasure Mm -hmm. um, and want to share and support you know talk to each other so uh those two were run through school, um, and then following that, uh, Reading Rocks is now a separate business on its own, which runs lots more yeah. up and down the country. Okay, fantastic. So it's so nice to talk to somebody again who was um, being allowed to do things in the classroom, and then it's just taken them on to bigger and better things, you know. So Lee, Lee Parkinson said the same thing, Simon Hunt said the same thing, and although they have their days in school still, you know, they've grown something out of their love of teaching. And I just think that's really nice, especially if you've really um, specialised in an area and you can help yeah. people. That's really good. Um, okay, so I've got some questions from um, the listeners, basically. So, Heather, I'm going to attempt to pronounce her last name, but I really don't know how to do it. I think it's Kachmarski, but I've probably got it wrong. <laughs> she can tell me, she can tell me. Um, Another Heather. Yeah, another Heather. Um, she says, I've tried uh, lots to engage boys into reading. And even though I've got 16 years of experience, what advice would you give for boy readers age five who, who can't yet see the purpose of why they need to read or why they need to, you know, sustain their engagement on top of the obvious? Okay. Um, well, there's quite a couple of things in there to talk about, isn't there, really? And I think asking what is the obvious um, might not always be the case, particularly if you are um, an NQT. Yeah, they might yeah. not always be be the obvious. Um, so I think they're important to be said, aren't they? That you know you've just got to read to them mm-hmm. um, and find your passion for reading and share share that with them. Um, if they're five, young children are brilliant at having an interest, aren't they? And and something that they really care about. And it's trying to link into that really um and then the other aspect of that question is obviously boys mm-hmm. and i have a slight bugbear with kind of the question not questions but schools focus on groups because yeah, there's always yeah. a, an analysis isn't there and what are we doing for the boys um and, and my argument is that what you're doing for the boys is exactly what you're doing for the girls yeah, yeah. um don't treat them as as two separate groups. I think if we polarise them and we make those books for the boys and those books for the girls, we're doing them a disservice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that marketing, sometimes we're sold things as that, yeah, the blue yeah. and the pink. Um, 
I, I don't agree with that. I think in books, we need to make sure that we're showing books for all of them and yeah. we're including all of them. Yeah. Um, so the obvious to me would be to do the same for, for all of them I think it's and engage their interest. I think it's interesting that you say that as well, that you know, the teacher has to find their love of reading because Alison Philipson um, was on the podcast um, a few weeks ago now and she was talking about writing and she was saying, are teachers, you know, is the teacher themselves a writer? They need to find their love of writing. They need to be more confident at writing. I guess it's the same thing. And that's why primary teaching is so hard because you need to um, find a love of science. Jack of all trades. Yeah. Jill of all trades. Yeah, <laughs> you just need to be everything, don't you? Yeah. And that's what's difficult. Yeah. And I think you have to relate back to your own experience of, of reading. Mm. And you might not have had the best. You might not be a reader yourself um but but reading is just the key to everything in the curriculum if, if children cannot read then they can't access their science their geography yes, everything yes. else and or their it, life that their life absolutely yeah. so yeah. i think it's weaving the books and those experiences into where they do feel comfortable mm-hmm. um i think that's really really important yeah, another project that ran at school um, after the year of reading, it was kind of like, well, we're doing reading really well. And then this idea of STEM was appearing. So it's yeah. quite well established in secondary schools mm-hmm. and it's kind of trickled into the, the primary sector now, hasn't it? And kind of, So w- we looked at, well, can we use our love of reading to get children into STEM? Mm. And typically that tends to be the girls that you're trying to push into that. And then can we use our love of STEM to push children in into reading? So we tried to do a number of those things to look at using um, either side to push the children into those. And I guess you have to know your books, don't mm-hmm. you? But you also have to know your children. If it's your own child at home, then you do know them and you can say, well, they love animals, so I'm going to make sure that we've got those. Yeah. Um, and if you've watched Blue Planet on the telly, you get that out and you have a look at what's there. Mm-hmm. And I think reducing the pressure. So it's not, we are sitting down to read now and making it a real, it, it's kind of normalizing yeah, reading yeah, this is part of what we do we naturally yeah. pick up our phone yeah. how naturally are we picking up a book the book yeah right that, um, that's interesting I mean, we do naturally pick up our phones how often are they seen as naturally pick up a book mm. yeah making me think um okay <laughs> so heather also says she says why is the story content in disney books written so badly and i think <laughs> as soon as i read that i thought Interesting point, but I see what she's saying because I love all the Disney films, but as soon as you get the book, I'm like, oh my word, please don't make me read it to you. Um, So she says all the kids want them, but they're just unable to access them. So do you have any favourite starter books? (laughs) I really like this question. Because yeah, kids love Disney, don't they? And Disney do a fantastic job, let's face it. Of films. (laughs) This this is the thing, they do a brilliant job of films and the book is the merch, isn't it? It's the yeah, merchandise yeah, yeah. and they just want to sell it so there's not a whole amount of time. So actually the films are of excellent quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, and on the way today, we've had our Disney CD on. I have had a seven-year-old in the car with me. <laughs> yeah. um, the songs are written really well. Yes, so I know you've yes. had Mr P on. I think he's got some stuff on using yes. songs as reading curriculum. Yeah, so that's yeah, brilliant. Does, yeah. um, there's some excellent content in that. But yeah, the books, the reason that I would suggest that they're so bad is because they are just treated as, as merchandise. So what you need to do if you're thinking about starters is, is flip it on its head. So instead of the film being written first and then you're looking at the books that have come out of the film you need to look for where the book was written first and still use that film or that tv program as an inroad to children it's familiarity it's a comfortable area it's it's a way of of building their interest um but think about it you know harry potter's obvious isn't it um but younger children you know previous question about age five um on there are several, like our previous children's laureate has got uh, Lauren Childs, um, Charlie and Lola. Yeah. Then you can read the Charlie and Lola books and they've already built um, a familiarity with those characters. They're not frightened. Because if you're 
if you're not the best at reading at school um, and you find it tricky, then you've got those barriers to overcome mm. before you get to the book. And you might say, I don't like reading. Mm. What, what you don't like and what we really have to unpick and help children understand is it's not that they don't like reading, mm. it's they don't like that horrible feeling of not being able to do something. Mm. Um, and I completely get that because I don't like running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I don't like the feeling it gives me when I can't do it. And I think relating it in those yeah. kind of ways for them. But actually, if you if, if you get to a run and you get to the end of it and you have that feeling of, oh, yeah. wow, all these endorphins. Yeah. Then for, for 10 minutes, you think, I might want to do this again tomorrow. Exactly. At the end of so it. what you've got to do for the children is get them so they experience that endorphin. Yeah. They they, they experience that lovely bit of reading. Yeah. And and if you can use a book, um, and there's Claude books. They're they're brilliant. Um, so I brought a couple of books. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> of yeah. Course. Show us, yeah. Um, and I think thinking about starter books when they're younger. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's a nice example because if you, there's some. Publishers are really great at having a picture book and then you follow the same characters into an illustrated novel. And that's a lovely, lovely way to help children build their confidence. To transition as well, yeah. Um, and the, the, I don't think I've brought any Claude books with me, but Claude uh, by Alex T. Smith, mm-hmm. they do that. There are um, your picture book that leads into your illustrated novel. Um, and the smile on a child's face when they're like year two, and they're suddenly they are they're capable of reading a full novel. Yeah, pure joy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's getting them into reading longer, longer stories as well, isn't it? I've not seen those before, so that I like that. I'm thinking already. You know, obviously I'm not in the classroom anymore, but yeah. you know, I do have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh, I think there's another one that I brought. If you, Johnny Duddle. Sorry, you we no, okay. really. Sorry that you let me loose, but Johnny Duddle's got some stuff on telly now. This is the Pirates Next Door, but he's got Gigantosaurus. And I think Disney have, have, have done that. He actually illustrated the second edition of Harry Potter front covers. Right, so you will wow, recognise yeah. his work, but he's got some absolutely gorgeous uh, picture books. And then, as in a pile somewhere, he's also got... Sorry for moving around. Uh, some illustrated novels as well. Oh, yeah. so, so it's a lovely way if you nice if you key mix, stage one building that confidence mm. that they, they kind of feel like I, I know these characters i can read them and then mm-hmm. suddenly they're up in their, their so interest you've still got your pictures in but you've got a longer longer book to read yeah. as well thank you um so Lindsay burke who actually works for us she says um uh, can a love of reading be taught mm. i'm an avid reader but my children aren't aren't sorry although they don't love um although they do love books um and read to themselves they don't read longer books unless i read to them so how does she get them to read longer books oh can i go back to the first bit of the question can it can yeah, it be yeah. taught yes um i think the answer is no i don't think you can teach a love of reading um but i absolutely believe that you can nurture a love of reading mm-hmm. um by modeling it living it breathing it um and and persevering with it mm-hmm. um learning is not linear is it no we'd love it to be yeah yeah <laughs> uh but it but it's not so i think that if, if reading with them and sticking with it and it will click at different times with different children won't it when they can access longer books um but it's finding something that they're willing to persevere with yeah um we go back to the reading, the running analogy. If you if you persevere with something like that, it's because you want to lose weight or you want to be fit. There's something in it for you. Yes, yes. Uh, and it's finding that for the children, so they need isn't to find it? So a story that maybe they really relate to or they're interested in. Yeah, or something. I remember as a teenager, I wasn't massively into reading, but some of the books I did get into were um, ones where they had um, written. Um, it was a TV series. And then they wrote different stories and I read them because I liked the TV series and I knew the characters. Yeah. Um, I don't know how well they were written, but that wasn't that wasn't the point. The point was that I knew the characters and to me, it, I was watching TV in my head. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's so, what it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Cressida Cowell, who's the new children's laureate, says that um, 
reading is the film inside your yeah. head and yeah. that's why it's it's better than than telly because you can imagine anything that cgi can't do <laughs> and it yeah and it's your version in your head it's only you there's a special relationship between you and the author your version of that book yeah. is different to somebody else's version of yeah. that book there's a real connection yeah. which builds empathy and emotional intelligence and all those lovely other things as well so true right i've got loads more questions for you but i'm just going to do one more on the live and then and then we can have a, a short break. <laughs> so, um, so Kath, who also uh, works for us, she says, um, do you think that reading corners are valuable and do they actually promote reading? Because Kath, um, she does work for us, but she also has a class as well. Um, so she says, I used to spend ages creating beautiful reading areas, but I always felt disappointed because the children rarely got to use them due to time constraints, attainment levels, greater challenge and everything. So are they valuable and do they promote reading? Um, I, I don't think it's a black and white answer. I think, yes, they can be valuable and yes, they can promote reading mm -hmm. and it depends how you use them. Uh, so it can be a controversial question because some people completely say, don't bother with that. Mm -hmm. um, it's a waste of time. And then other people say, well, no, actually, my, the children in my class have responded. Mm -hmm. um, so I think to make them valuable then number one, you've got to make sure that you use them. If, mm -hmm. if, the, if the children haven't got the capacity, whether it's it's your turn in there for quiet reading or you know they can just go in there at different times, that they need to be able to use them. Otherwise, really, what, what is the point? Mm -hmm. um, and, and the key to it is having great books in there. Yeah. Because if it looks amazing and then you go in and there's not a great deal to read, mm -hmm. then then they're not valuable and they're not having an impact. Yeah. Um, I Last year in my school, in each reading area, put in a stash of non-fiction. Mm -hmm. um, some generic stuff, but stuff that uh, related to uh, foundation subjects that were going on in those year groups. So that whilst you were teaching, you could dip in in and out and make sure you're showing them how how yeah. to use it so it's thinking of ways maybe it's less about the um the reading corner itself and more about the teacher um you know the opportunities that the teacher's giving uh, the children you know how they are valuing it themselves absolutely how much they're actually thinking about the fact it's there yeah yeah it's how you look after it as well I always talk about the explicit and the implicit messages around reading. You can put up on your wall a big message that says, reading is amazing, reading is for everybody. But then when it's novel time, you go, we're just into this lesson now, we won't do it. Or if you've read the same book year in, year out, and you're a bit bored of it and you've chosen your voice, all those little things mm -hmm. send out that message to the children that, doesn't matter what she says up there that reading rocks. She's not making it rock in this classroom. Mm -hmm. And I think your reading area can do that. If you've put it up and you've spent lots of time over the summer holidays mm. um, and that's your choice, that can be a really strong message to your children. Yeah, yeah. And if you carefully put a book of choice in there each week, uh, Mrs. Wright's fate, Read of the Week or something, mm. that can be really, really valuable. Um, but if you stick it up and it looks a bit shoddy and you don't really look after it, the books never change, yeah. then that the message is that she's doing it because she's got to. This is it, why would you? I'm just looking now at the comments. Um, so, Lee says, Lee uh, works with us, says, um, can you recommend any great picture books for STEM links? For STEM links, oh. Um, yes, you need to look at Rosie Revere. Mm -hmm. um, and that series, they're, they're fantastic, and um, Izzy Gizmo, uh, they're brilliant. Okay. But STEM links, there's just so many, aren't so there? So many of them. Um, and I think uh, with any book, you can actually get maths links out of them if you if you think hard enough. Yeah. Um, one of the books that I've looked at recently is all about whales, and there were so many things in that book. Um, I'll tell you what the title is that afterwards if I can, oh, that's if fine. I can, can remember. Um, anyway. That's fine. Um, but yeah, STEM STEM books. 
I'll see if I can share some later on. Yeah, if that's okay. okay. No, that's fine. Um, so Katie says, no, Katia, sorry. Um, I teach year five and we do shared reading in a class. Uh, one book or novel for all. My next cohort is a mixed ability with year three children working at year one, two reading ability. Do you think reading to them and asking questions about it is the best way to include them? Um, yes, uh, but you need to be building up their own fluency and stamina and, and involvement mm-hmm. um, as well. Um, a fluency is a really important one, isn't it? So it could be that you've read it to them, mm-hmm. but then they read it as well. So again, taking away those barriers and building that confidence. So There's nothing wrong with over-reading um, mm-hmm. and using... Uh, picture books yeah uh, yes. so so powerful as you know there's tons of recommendations of picture books that, that you can use yeah um, it just helps them but them having that. a copy of the text and building that familiarity and confidence is really really important and mm-hmm. um, if you're not signed up get signed up for love reading for kids oh yes that's the right one isn't it yeah it's free yeah and um they constantly put on new books that are being released mm-hmm. um and with 80% of them, there's a download extract button. So you yes. get a PDF. Yes, I see. So, yeah. you know, if you can't afford to buy a copy for everyone in the class, which, you know, not many you people can, then yeah. they have got their own copy and you could have, you know, the, yeah. the, the real book or you can put it on the screen. Yeah. So that's a great way of sharing it. And also it kind of tells you whether you want to read it or not as well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, gives you an idea. Absolutely. Um, last one that we'll uh, do then. So Claire Walker um, says, what's the most important reading skill? And how skill. can yeah, how can this be developed? Putting you on the spot, aren't we? Yeah. I guess the the skill of decoding, you know, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a thing, isn't it, that, that you don't wanna bash on about phonics, but you do need solid decoding skills. Yeah, yeah to enable you to get into that rich fruit fruit of comprehension really so make sure that you put your you know your biggest and your best in lower down school and make sure that they they can decode as as quickly as possible um, by whatever scheme and means you, you use but for me running alongside that has to be that enjoyment and that engagement with text yeah. so this is how you do it guys but this is why. Yeah, yes. So you've got the drive at the, the same time. Yeah, to do it, yeah. And I think it's just um, it's just about giving them the, the skills, isn't it, to actually be able to love it if they really wanted to. Because, Absolutely. You know, if you can't if you can't do it, then you're just not going to love it ever, are you? Yeah, and when that gap widens, it gets harder and harder and the fear factor of engaging with books, mm. it get, gets there. So yeah. the, the sooner you can get them, then the better. Yeah. Thank you very much. So Lindsay also wanted to know, what is the best way to encourage independent reading in the classroom? Is it um, a designated quiet time or? I would suggest that you need to have an established time each day so that there's a a rhythm and a routine to Mm -hmm, it um, mm -hmm. where children know what's expected. Um, I've seen different things in different classrooms. Some where it's a little rumble of noise where the children are reading, but it's okay to kind of um, chat to the person next door. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's about the books and that's what you encourage, then then that's grand. Um, or you might have um, a different theme. So I've seen people do non-fiction Friday. So everybody mm-hmm. reads their fiction throughout the week at that set designated time where it's calm. But then on a Friday, they all pour into to mm-hmm. non-fiction. Um, I think really it's about giving them the time to do it, making sure it's valued, that it happens for the set time at Mm. the time each day so the children know and expect it and look forward to it. Uh, But underpinning that, you've got to make sure that they've got the tools to do it. So, you know, can they read? Have they got the stamina and the fluency and the decoding? Um, And do you have books? And do you have great books? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. and different schools make different choices on that. Some schools have schemes, mm-hmm. some have, whether you call it free reader or accelerated reader, whatever you have, um, the sooner you can allow children to be choosing their own content, mm-hmm. um, I think that the better quality the reading that, that you're going to get. Um, but it's difficult to, ha- you know, invest yeah. in, in great books and, and have, you know, if you've got a library, brilliant to keep it going and make sure that that you do invest in it 
um, and SLTs are absolutely urge you to make sure that it's on your budget. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that it's really, really difficult times for budgets, yes, isn't yes. it? But I'm going off on tangents, but it makes me sad when you'll see a school say, well, we're doing this PTFA event to raise money for the skiing books. And I think, yeah. well, that's all well and good and that's lovely. However, reading is the crux of everything. We yeah, said, yeah, right, didn't yeah. we? You know, if they can't read, so to me, that is a valuable investment mm. um, and, mm. and it should be on your school budget all of the time. Um, you know, you, you, you wouldn't go without your pencils. No. So, so don't go without your books. They're not a luxury that the PTFA can put a nice icing layer on. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and, and tap into your school library services because if we don't use them, they'll go. Yeah, and I think and they, they have been bring, going um, yeah. across across different councils. I'm not quite sure that it's in, in Calderdale anymore. Um, just on that then, um, is there a set time of day you think is maybe best for having this designated reading time? Um, well, I would go for two designated reading times in your classroom. One where the teacher reads aloud to the mm -hmm. children um, and then another time. So you might put one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Um, the only kind of advice I would give on that is that if you put it um, at the end of the day, yes, it's a nice way to finish off the day, but the tendency can be to, oh, well, we're all into this art now. We won't, we won't tidy up mm -hmm. and it drops off yeah. um, wherever it is. Ring fence it, make it sacrosanct and make sure that it happens. Um, and mm -hmm. that's when you'll see the impact from it. Yeah. And um, I know that we had this uh, conversation um, on the phone before that I I actually remember, especially in year six, I remember having designated reading time. And I think you could jotter as well if you wanted, um, first thing in the morning when we got in, um, but also after lunch. And I used to look forward to that because I was, I was watching this film in my head and it was a book I had chosen. It wasn't a book that the teacher was making us read. And I... I always just enjoyed those so much more because I've chosen them myself. Absolutely. Um, and I guess you could get to a point, I think I think there was a rule that you had to at least read the first chapter before you could change it. Yeah. Um, and then you were into it or you weren't. And the point is, because you could do that, you were into it. And so I think that's, that's lovely. And I, I do think sometimes we can be too worried about delivering all the time that we can take out of the curriculum because we're too worried about, yes, but what are we delivering to them then? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that time it's not is just... just reading. Yes. It makes me sad when people say that kind of phrase, or they're, they're just reading. Mm. No, they're not. They're, they're reading. Yes. And it's a valuable thing. And, and, and an they've got to practice thing. it. Yeah. 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 If you want to be good at anything, you've got to practice it, haven't you? Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's what that time is. Yeah. And it's really important that they have it. Yeah, and and in school because sometimes we can think, oh well, they're not they're not learning anything then, um, so they can practice at home, um, but sometimes children don't get time to practice at home and they do need time to practice. Yeah, in school or they as might well. not have the right environment. We're talking about making that time and making it, you know, establishing with the children what's expected. Then it's calm and it's quiet. You know, if somebody's engrossed in a book, we don't interrupt them, and yeah, you know, we we, we respect the other readers in the room. Sometimes at home, children won't have. A quiet space no. um, or they might have responsibilities they might you know they yes. might have things that they have to do at home um, or the other end of the spectrum there might be a, a club every single night and not have any downtime yes. to do it yes um, so it, it's got to be part of the school day as far as I'm concerned yeah and I think making it part of the school day is more likely to be part of their um, day at home as well because I think yeah if I could have taken that book home when I was in um, primary school because I don't think I could then I, I might have been likely to pick it up again because I wanted I want to, to see know what happens yeah. it's just like you know before you have children and you have Netflix and you're like when can I watch that again now I just watch it maybe once every month <laughs> one episode <laughs> a month or something but you, yeah it's, it's that it's, feeling though isn't it of the best tv show where you're going what's next yeah and it's in your pocket you could just get it sorry in your bag you just get it out at any point yeah i, I really feel like i'm wanting to read again now i just oh. have to find a time i'll leave um, some books thank you thank you um audio books maybe that's the way for you well i listen to a lot of audio books because i have time for that um but not actual reading um because uh as always 
kids or the business or something. <laughs> um, so Lindsay also said, should children be allowed to select their own reading books or should the teacher or TA decide which books they should read according to their reading level? I think there's a fine balance with that, really. Um, we should encourage uh, the children choosing their own, but it's our job mm -hmm. to, to guide them into what is appropriate. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and then they're not soft children. They're, if they pick it up and they can't... Well, first of all, if they can't decode it, they'll tell you, mm. and I can't do that. Um, or if they can decode it, but the, the level of comprehension required is too too deep, then they won't be getting something from it, and we need to talk to them about what it feels mm. like when a book is right for you. Yeah. Um, and then you can allow them to choose. And sometimes they will surprise you. You know, they might be reading certain book band. Um, and just plodding along with it and you think, yeah, this, this is right for them. You whack something a lot higher in front of them and suddenly they light up. Yeah. So it's always worth a shot. Because they understand the, you know, the story more the more engaging it because yeah. sometimes it's just got a bit more to it. For them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. So Kath Smith says, whole class versus group <laughs> guided re reading and why? <laughs> I'm laughing at this question. Fight with yourself. Because every now and then it comes round on Twitter and Facebook, I'm, I'm sure. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I'll get away with uh, this question coming up or not. Um, there, there isn't a right or wrong. And I think it's about what works best for you and your practice. My personal preference, um, leave in, in, in Key Stage 2, is whole class teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you can effectively um, challenge the children by sharing a great text with the whole class. Um, and you can get round all of the different groups. Um, and I, I didn't like guided carousel mm. in the sense of what are they doing? And I found it so confusing. Confusing and, and bitty and kind of loses flow. Um, and I'm going to say it the right way around. Life work balance yes, was, yes. was affected for me I, uh, doing guided because you, you're planning six lessons yes. when you could just be planning one amazing yes. lesson and picking up and feeding back. Um, Reading to me is a special thing all on its own, but it's just teaching. Yeah. When we're teaching reading, what we, we kind of give it, given it this special thing because of the the literacy strategies, you know, and kind mm. of. But but what it's about good pedagogy, isn't it? It's about what what does good teaching look like, and you bring that to your reading lesson. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think it's remembering that and, and trusting yourself, and um, you know, SLT and head teachers trusting the teacher in that as well, massively. because. You know, one of the reasons why I developed the first kind of carousel guided reading pack that we have on the Classroom Secrets website was because I hated <laughs> carousel guided reading and I did a lot of supply and I had to go around and it was like, oh, yes, you're with this group. And I thought, oh, my word, I can't manage this in my own classroom. I certainly can't do it in somebody else's. And what's really funny now is that obviously a whole class guided reading is a thing. And, and when it came to developing those resources... I had no problem doing that because I used to go around and take my comprehension book and I used to do it hoping nobody would walk in <laughs> instead of the carousel that they'd left because I was like, I can't do this. We'll do a whole class thing and um, did it that way instead. So I kind of think, oh, we're allowed to do it like that now, but I did it as a secret. Good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it worked. It worked. Um, okay then. So Sean says... Have you got any tips to encourage pupils to read for pleasure at home? Oh, I think we've touched on a number of things, haven't we? It, it, I think ultimately you've got to build that want and that desire mm -hmm. um, within the children so they do choose to, to pick it up at home. Um, but alongside that, you, we talked about parental engagement. Um, it, it is kind of bringing the school community mm -hmm. along with it and making sure yes. that they value it as such. So encouraging your children to use your public library if you've still got you a know, library, your public yeah. library. Um, so building links with your school and your, and your community with your library is a really good way of getting the parents on board. And, and it's a difficult one, but getting them to see the why 
as well so yeah. I guess it's the same approach of kind of making making the parents understand and you know your school community the best so you'll know what will work if you get your parents in and tell them you know snippets of research about the correlation between reading for pleasure mm. and um success in later life that might work for yours um or maybe the softer approach of bringing the parents, the parents in and right, making them it? feel yeah. comfortable yeah. yeah you've got to know some parents might not be able to to read themselves which is then another barrier for how how do you overcome that mm. um and there was a school i can't remember where it was but i'm sure they went on uh, an, an itv program and talked about it where um they had their own youtube channel and they were reading a bedtime story that the school community could all watch at the oh, same right, time okay. each yeah. night. Um, so there are ways and means of kind of there are, bring, yeah. bringing parents in. I, I think know. valuing when the child comes back in and tells you that they've read mm. or you ask them with an honest, did you enjoy that? And if you know the book or, or what, please tell me tomorrow what happens to that character. Yeah. Those things that don't cost any money, that just cost time and care, can be the most powerful, can't they? To so that the child thinks, to... you know, they love you as their teacher, particularly yeah. the younger ones, and they, you know, you you're one of the most important adults in their life. And if you say to them, "I really," and it can be a quiet little word in the line, mm. you know, and, mm. and they they feel that relationship is there to be valued, you know, they'll come back in and they'll go fell down the hole you know or you know I'll yeah. tell you what happened yeah yeah because they think that you that you're really interested in knowing as well yeah um but I think you're right I think the why is so important in in fact um Lee um Peckover who did an interview um a couple of months ago he was talking about EYFS and he was saying that children need to understand why they need to learn to read um and if they don't understand that then they're not going to want to and it's the same thing isn't it the parents knowing why they learned to read in the first place and why their children should learn to read and the children understand themselves why why it's an amazing thing and, and why it's such a gift as well it is indeed um thank you okay so do you think then that being allowed to use social media to promote your work and um, with what you were doing in school do you think that's helped you develop reading rocks into something bigger than you ever dreamed it would be um the very very simple answer is yes reading rocks to me, um, it is a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're on 25,000, 26,000 followers on Twitter now. And, and that community wouldn't be there yeah. if it wasn't for the social media platform. Um, Its it, it, it story began on social, social media. But its power is that it's national or international. It, you know, it can bring people t- together. Um, who have the same values or ideas um, or different ideas to talk about. Mm-hmm. I th- it, it, it's such an amazing tool that, that we can use mm-hmm. it. Yeah, thank you. So the Reading Rocks, um, so we've, t- we've touched on it. You've basically started a company, Reading Rocks. Um, you do conferences. If somebody was interested in going to a conference, what does a conference look like? Okay, so we do two types of CPD events uh, mm-hmm. that people can can uh, come along to. Um, so the full day are Saturday CPDs, so either in a school, uh, sometimes they're in a university. Uh, we've got two big ones coming up, Reading Rocks South um, and in Horsham, not far from Brighton. Uh, that's the 5th of October. Um, and then we've got Reading Rocks North, which is Northumberland. Uh, the 9th of November. Um, tickets for those are bargain, twenty two ninety nine, and we feed you. Ah, wow. <laughs> breakfast and lunch. Wow, breakfast and lunch. What an amazing bargain. Yeah. Um, so you can find those on Eventbrite. So if you, if you look for Reading Rocks events uh, on Eventbrite, uh, that's where you can get your tickets. Um, and for that, you will get three or four keynote speakers. Um, we've got some amazing um, authors and education speakers lined up. Um, and then you'll get a chance to choose two workshop slots. Um, so we talked about choice for children a lot, haven't we? I think mm-hmm. one of the powers of the Saturday CPD is that teachers are, are feeling empowered, that they've got their own uh, drive on their own CPD. Again, they're going to listen to something that they care about and that they think they can put back into their own classroom. Yeah, because it's on a Saturday and because they can afford it and it's not a stupid price, 
um, that means school has to get supply and yeah, yeah, and they can go with their friends as well. Yeah, yeah, and and if you haven't got a friend to go to with, we do have lots of people that will shout out and say, "I'm coming on my own," and and yeah, they soon yeah. make friends. Um, yeah. So the Saturday ones are the big full day mm-hmm. events, um, but due to demand, <laughs> lots yeah. of people were asking, "Come over here, come here, there, and everywhere." So uh, the pop up um, yeah. happened. So we've got three of those coming up uh, again in October. Um, we're doing Manchester, Birmingham and London. Mm-hmm. Um, and those tickets will be available on Eventbrite as well. They are just 5 5 till 7 o'clock. And you get two hours of um, CPD. So you get one keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get a workshop slot. We bring the bookshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, wallet warning. Yes. Um, <laughs> with lots of and we feed books. you. We always feed, you know, feed a water. Yeah, yeah. Which is what teachers mainly want, I think, really, anyway. You know, it, are the biscuits there? I'm there. Listen, it is the thing, <laughs> isn't it? When you go out on training, you always have to text. What's the food like? Were the Danishes for breakfast? Yes. <laughs> when you get that evaluation form, it's very, very important. Uh, yes. We live on a shoestring at school. A, a biscuit goes a long way. Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I feel completely lost about where to go next now. Yeah, where um, are the biscuits, by yes. the way? <laughs> so we'll make sure that obviously the links to your Eventbrite events yeah. are um, in the show notes if anybody wants to if anybody Fab. wants to go. Um, so what are your top five books to get children engaged in reading? I'm going to do a real like, bad answer to this and say... There aren't top five books. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so, so many amazing uh, children's books. I'm going to tell you my favourite read aloud, if that's if yeah, that's an that's acceptable yeah, answer. Yeah. I absolutely love Odd Dog Out. Mm-hmm. Have you read Odd Dog Out? No. The Sausage Dog, amazing. Uh, it's by Rob Biddulph. He's an author, illustrator. Um, and it's about a dog that doesn't fit in. And then he learns that being different is um, is a good thing. And yeah, we should all yeah. rock to our own beat. And I absolutely love the message. Yeah. I love reading it out loud. And um, if you come to a Reading Rocks conference, I always read aloud to everybody. Okay, um, and I've read that a, a couple of times. We should have done that. We should have got um, you reading something. Ah, <laughs> and I would argue that I read it better than Tom Hardy, who read it as a CBeebies bedtime story. Oh, did but do check him out reading it, because it's quite a nice watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Right, okay, so you know what you've got to do now then. <laughs> um, right, I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions now, so snappy answers. Um, who is your favourite teacher and why? Oh, see, I'm rubbish at picking just one out, and I remember loads of great teachers, but all the primary ones are kind of like special memories about. But one standout was Miss Padgett, and I think it was year two, it's definitely infants. Um, and she was just this crazy kind of hippie teacher, and I just remember doing loads of art with her. <laughs> And that was brilliant. I'm sure she taught me loads of other stuff as well. Um, but the art is what you remembered. Yeah, and I remember the head teacher, Mr Lund, um, and he was very present and you, he knew all of the children by yeah, name yeah. and he was there all of the time and engaging with them and that's you know, what I remember of him. I'm sure the staff at the time had different yeah. memories of him, but I remember him being our head teacher and being there for, for us. So yeah. that was... Yeah. That's good. Um, hopefully they're listening right now, oh, listening to your shout out. <laughs> um, what do you wish you'd know when you first started out in teaching? Um, I wish uh, somebody, and I think you learn the lesson, but then you, you still don't live it all of the time, that your list will never be yes. completed. Yeah. And it is absolutely okay to drop one of those spinning plates. It's the same when you run a business. <laughs> Really the list like, never ends it never ends and that's okay yeah and i yeah. think when you first start that you really feel like but i must get all this done i must get all this done um and i can't drop that and i can't drop that and and you have to prioritize mm-hmm. um and your health and your well-being your sleep yes is a priority as well yes otherwise you're not going to be a very good teacher yeah um what are the three biggest changes that you've seen during your time in education oh uh, paperwork. Mm-hmm. I think that if I think back to when I started, we we, we still planned, we still marked, but mm-hmm. we didn't feel bogged down yeah. uh, by paperwork and bureaucracy. I would say um, pressure from Ofsted. I I think that's increased, mm-hmm. um, and 
hearing people say that they're doing the they're really they're doing stuff for Ofsted, which is not the right way, not no. the right way around. So no. that's that's a sad thing, um, and maybe a biggest change uh, is that teachers are communicating more via via social media yes, as a, as a positive yeah. thing. Yeah, I think yeah. sometimes when we talk about change, we always focus on the negative. The negative, don't we? yeah, yeah. It was but good that in the is good old days. In the good old days, with our yeah. rose tinted glasses. Yes, I'm sure there were bad things then, but. Yeah, I think that's a change for the positive that the community yeah. has come together because you, you can be insular in your classroom and your primary school yeah, and your own can, little yeah. tight community. Yeah. Actually, we're building bridges, which is nice. That is good. Um, where do you think education needs to go in the next 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> what a question. It is a really hard question. Um, I th I've had discussions with people where you think it can't go on like this any longer. It can't. It's got to implode at some point and start again. And then it gets worse. <laughs> um, and then it just doesn't seem to be mm. imploding. I would like to see some kind of revolution <laughs> mm -hmm. in the next 10 years where teachers are valued or yeah. the profession is valued more and the art and the craft of teaching and nurturing our children is valued so that teachers have more time mm. um, to do the important things, not yeah. the paper filling in things, but yeah. you know, the really carefully crafting the curriculum and trusting um, practitioners who know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to see the fear go. Yeah, tr yeah, absolutely. Trusting that teachers want to do the best for the children, that they will do the best for the children as well. Um, who was your inspiration within education? Oh. Who is my inspiration within education? There are a couple of people who have been inspiring in terms of of reading, um, and I'm going to mention two guys who were involved in the very first Reading Rocks, who are fantastic, and you must follow them on Twitter. So one of them is James Clements, um, who is a fabulous guy, but he did a project looking at what made schools great about reading, mm -hmm. um, and he wrote... Uh, a document which you can download on the Oxford University Press site for, for free mm -hmm. called uh, Building an Outstanding Reading School. And it's just brilliant. Mm -hmm. Talks common sense and it's based on, um, uh, you know, proper research. He's been out there and, and found this out. Um, and he was a quite inspiration at the beginning of Reading Rocks in focusing, mm -hmm. you know, this can be done. Um, and he came and spoke at the, the first event. And the other chap was, was Matt Tobin. Um and he works at Oxford Brookes University and he is a legend and master of children's literature. Mm -hmm. um, and if I knew as much about it as him, <laughs> I think I know about much, as much as him. So, um, yeah, I find people who are passionate um, as well as knowledgeable about their subject and inspiration. Good, thank you. And um, last question then. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I said before, didn't I? I thought I wanted to, to be a physio at one point. I think when I was little, 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 I, th I think I, I, I really wanted singing lessons and that never panned out, so I could have been, you know. <laughs> I'm just trying to think, who's the best singer? Um, I don't know, Leona oh, Lewis did quite well, didn't she? So maybe her. <laughs> it was not to be, unfortunately, but I'm still rocking something, so that's yes, okay. Well, this is it, yeah. <laughs> What's that singing group called? Something rock. Rock, rock choir. Rock there you choir. go. Maybe that's, maybe that's where it could You could have from. a reading rock. Reading no, 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 no. <laughs> well, thank you so much for oh, joining you. me on the podcast. Um, I think we've got through a lot of really good content there. Um, really content rich, which just makes me really happy as Fact. well. Um, because I want people to go away and um, be able to implement some of the things in the classroom. So, yeah, hopefully you're going to have um, a sellout tomorrow, um, the day after the podcast goes live. Amazing. Be a Reading Rocks conferences. And um, and they can get you in as well, can't they, to um, Absolutely. If you go to have the, a look at Reading in your school. The website is wherereadingrocks.com and you can contact on there. Brilliant. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really happy that I was able to interview Heather and I know we'll be staying in touch in the future. We'd both love to hear your stories of your school investing in more books and that making a big difference in reading with your children. You'll find everything Heather talked about 
in the show notes. If this is the first time you're listening to the Teachers Podcast, check out our other episodes for some more great listens. We are continually securing some more fantastic guests for you. And if you want to request that someone is on the podcast, then you can let us know in the Facebook group called the Teachers Podcast Community. This episode is now live on YouTube as well, so don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Did you love this podcast episode? Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.